morning's scripture, Romans the 13th chapter, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law, the word of God. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to look into your word and study your word. And yet, Father, we know that without the intervention of your spirit, our attempts would be fruitless. And so, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit guide our hearts and minds this morning as we ask to better see what you have for us and how to fashion our lives accordingly. And, Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we are, no doubt, as you probably figured out from those passages, moving on from those first seven verses in chapter 13. And I'm quite certain that probably many of you are happy. Be glad when he shuts up about submitting to government and people in authority. I'm quite certain that can be the case. Um, But two points on that. I don't write this, okay? I didn't write this. And it can be as uncomfortable for me as it is for you. So don't think that I'm not uh, part of it whenever I speak about it. But I also want to warn you that these admonitions don't get any easier. I mean, he tells us to submit to the authority, to respect them and to honor them and pay that respect and honor to them. And it's going to get more difficult than than even that, as we even see this morning. They can be extremely difficult, not only for us to digest and come to grips with, but particularly more difficult for us to truly comply with for us to conform our lives around these commands that God gives us. Now on the surface, it seems like when we start with verse 8, most of you don't have your Bibles because you rely on that, and that's fine, but if you look at your Bible and you see verse 8, you're you're going to see a break. You're going to see the first seven verses, and then my Bible breaks it out. Actually starts an entirely different section. And as we've seen so many times, Just because the editors did that doesn't mean that that's the way that it should be. And I will uh, tell you this morning that I believe that that's not necessarily or shouldn't have been necessarily done the way that they've done it in this case with respect to verse 8. Paul's logic flows naturally from one verse to the next. Doesn't break up like the editors have broken it up in the Bible. And his writing is a reflection of that logic and it's a reflection of the natural progression of the way that he was thinking in most instances Paul just doesn't shift gears and take off in an entirely new direction it is a flowing process and that's the way he writes he doesn't just disconnect his thoughts and sometimes we speak this way don't we Stephanie would be the first to tell you I do this. There are moments when we're in a conversation about something and then that conversation stops for a couple minutes and I start in the middle of another conversation. She has no idea what I was thinking about. 
But we can't write that way. If you want to be able to write that way, then nobody's going to understand anything you're saying. Because she will quickly say, what are you talking about? And we have, when we, (laughs) Jane, you're getting thrown under the bus, just saying. (laughs) So, so if we write that way, it becomes extremely difficult. We don't, we try not to write that way. When we write, we want a natural progression of thought. We want to connect the dots so it's easy for the reader to understand and follow what we're trying to say. Paul was no different. That's exactly how he wrote. And he did that here, connecting verses 6 and 7 with verse 8. <coughs> when we fail to connect the dots, then, as I said, our understanding suffers. And verse 8 is a prime example of that. And if we read verse 8, and hopefully you're going to see where I'm going with this as we get into verse 8. If we just read verse 8 in isolation, you're going to take it to mean something totally different than what we're going to see was the actual intent of Paul. So before we get to verse 8, we're going to go back to verses 6 and 7 that we dealt with last week. And I know I promised you we were done with it. I didn't necessarily lie to you. We're just going to go back to it for a little bit of guidance. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So, verses 6 and 7 are key understanding verse 8 and exactly what it means. Paul has admonished us to submit to the governing authorities. He's told us that even back up in verses 4 and 5, that they are put in place by God. And this was all part of God's way of providing a degree of protection for all of us to making sure and maintaining order in our lives. So he put them in place for our good. And then verse 6, He actually says there are his ministers attending to the very thing. So we should pay taxes. In verse 7, he continues this paying to what is owed. So there is an underlying theme in verses 6 and 7 of owing and paying. Owing and paying. That's the theme that starts in verses 6 and 7. And it's important, we're going to find out later on, to whom he's talking about us owing and paying and to where we're supposed to pay and how that's going to play out. So we have to understand that if you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe revenue, pay it. If you owe respect, pay it. If you owe honor, pay it. So keep in mind this theme of owing and paying and owing and paying. And that theme is critical for us to jump into verse 8. That's why it's dangerous for the editors to break up verse 8 from verse 7 and 6. Because pick up, look at verse 8. It seems to be an entirely new thought process. It looks disconnected. That lends itself for misinterpretation. That lends itself for someone reading into that verse something that Paul didn't mean to be read into that verse. And here we have verse 8. Owe no one anything 
except to love each other. For the one who loves one another or loves another has fulfilled the law. So Paul begins this verse 8 by writing, Owe no one anything. It worked. Owe no one anything. There are people, and I will tell you a large number of people, that will tell you that this is a clear prohibition for Christians to ever borrow money. Seems to say that, doesn't it? Owe no one anything. And if you look at this and you look at verse 8, if you borrow money, then you're going to owe them. And so it's forbidden by this passage. And if we just had verse 8, and if we just pick up the Bible and start reading in verse 8, clearly a very reasonable interpretation to make. I think everyone can see how that could be interpreted as such. Hopefully now, you can understand why verses 6 and 7 are so important and have to be read in conjunction with verse 8. In verses 6 and 7, Paul encourages us, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. If it is taxes, pay the taxes. If it is revenue, pay the revenue. If it is respect and honor, pay the respect and honor. So the question then becomes, was Paul writing about borrowing money? Or was he writing about trying to encourage us to take care of our obligations the way God wants us to take care of our obligations? I think the answer of that's quite obvious, right? And we're going to see it play out even greater here. In this context, I believe it's clear that Paul is telling us as Christians, don't shirk your responsibilities to pay what you owe. Whatever it is. If you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe revenue, pay them. Don't just refuse to pay what you owe. Honor and respect. We can't just say, okay, all of a sudden, yeah, don't really feel like it, I'm not going to pay it. Number one, you probably end up in jail. But besides that, Paul's telling us it's not what God requires of us. It's not what he commands of us. If the taxes are so great that you don't have enough money to pay them, well, then pay all you can until you've paid it off. Right? That. That's the point that's being made here. Don't just refuse to do what your obligation or duty is that God gives us. The owe no one anything is an admonition not to just outright refuse to pay what you owe. And I think that is important, whether it be money or respect or honor, whatever the case may be. It's a different type of owing, isn't it? It's a different type of owing than going to the bank and agreeing that I'm going to pay the bank back for the mortgage I have on my house over a period of time. You still owe the bank, right? But you're not out and out refusing to pay them. You're going to pay them back according to your agreement with them. It's not like whenever the government imposes taxes and you don't like the government, so you say, I'm not going to pay my taxes, different type of owing and that that's the difference that Paul's talking about here when we 
actually borrow money. We may continue to owe a balance, but it's not the refusing to pay it back. That's not at all what we're dealing with or the way we should act. We're just agreeing to pay it back over a period of time. Now, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of the, the, whether it's proper to, to borrow and how much and all that. I'm just making the differentiation in verse 8 and the proper interpretation to verse 8. Now, if we go to the bank and take out a mortgage and say, I'm not paying it back, verse 8 is applicable because we're just shirking our responsibility and duty as a Christian to pay back what we owe. <clears throat> so if we borrow money from someone, we owe them until it's paid back. But clearly it's not the type of owing or the sense of owing that Paul is talking about here. Paul was writing about the absolute refusal to pay back or refusal to pay what we owe. Now it's a little different with respect to honor and respect, right? It, it gets a little tricky with honor and respect that we saw in verse 7. If you owe honor and respect, and we made the connection back up, I think it's verse 4, when he says that God put in place every government leader that's currently in place, and so we are to honor and respect them because of that, and by honoring and respecting them, it is honor and respecting God. Remember that? So we owe that. But then the tricky part of it is, when does that obligation end, right? Do we owe honor and respect to those that only honor and respect us? No. He doesn't say that. Do we owe honor and respect to those who do what we want them to do? We like that when we're good at that. I'll honor and respect you if you're doing what I want you to do. No. Do we honor and respect on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays? And then we don't have that obligation the other days. You see, it's different than owing taxes, isn't it? I say that. We never stop paying taxes. So taxes are pretty much a, a continuous thing. Let's say the mortgage on our houses. It's different because at some point in time, that's paid in full, and we can stop that. We'll pay taxes on it forever but until we leave this earth, but we can stop with paying that mortgage. So there is an end date, whatever that end date is. But the honor and respect, there is not, there's no end date on it. There is an ongoing obligation to honor and respect others. So this owing that we have with respect to honor and respect is different than the owing that we have whenever it's a financial obligation. And, and, I, and I hope that you can, you can see the difference and you can see the distinction that is in that. And then that takes us to the second part of verse 8. Except to love each other. He gives us an exception. Owe no one anything except... To love each other. So when he says accept, that means we have, we owe somebody something. It's an exception to that general rule at the beginning of owing nothing to anyone. So we owe love 
to everyone. That is the exception that, that Paul makes here. There is something that is owed to everyone. It is ongoing. It is never-ending. Sort of like the respect and honor, isn't it? It's not as if, I'll love you if you love me. I will love you as long as you love me. I'll love you on certain days when you're nice to me or treat me well. It's a never-ending, ongoing obligation or command to love each other. Now, those ideas that we love each other for a few hours and then not, it it sounds kind of silly, right? But it's the same idea that we just saw up in verse 6 about this obligation of respect and honor. We have an ongoing obligation all day, every day, to love each other. That debt will never be paid. That debt has no end date. And I do hope that you can see the difference. Our duty and obligation to love each other will never be stamped paid in full. It is forever and it is constant. Now, how does this relate to verse 7 where we had respect and honor? Because all he says here is love. But we know we go back up to verse 7. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, it is verse 7. If we go back up to verse 7, he tells us if we owe honor, then pay it. If we owe respect, then pay it. But here he's saying the only thing that there is an ongoing debt or a duty is love. He doesn't say owe no one anything except love, honor, and respect. He, he doesn't say that. It, it's just love. So, so how do we harmonize those two? How do we properly understand exactly what Paul is saying here? It's difficult, but I believe that if we love each other, we love each other the way that Paul's admonishing us to love each other here in verse 8, verse 7 takes care of itself. The honor and respect naturally flows from that love of each other. We honor and respect each other because we love each other. So verse 8 takes care of the honor and respect that is above in in verse 7. Now there are those who argue that, eh, Paul's just talking about Christians here. We'll make this a little easier. We're just to love each other as Christians. We can get by without the world and this isn't an admonition to To love the heathens on the outside. It's a joke, okay? So there are those that believe that way. But I want you to take a moment and think with me about this passage and see if that fits. Who's he talking about? Who are the objects of this conversation that Paul's writing? It's government leaders, isn't it? I mean, it's still government leaders. He's just talked about... Submit to government leaders, pay your taxes, pay revenue, honor them and respect them because you owe that to them. He's not talking about fellow Christians. He's not saying, owe no one anything, being, don't owe your brothers and sisters anything except love only your brothers and sisters. There is nothing in this passage that I can see that limits this, limits this to Christians. 
It is everyone all-encompassing. He says, no one. He doesn't say, oh, not your brothers and sisters anything, or your brothers and sisters in Christ, or however you want to put it. It's, oh, no one anything, except love each other, or love everyone. For the one who loves another, it's not specific, it's general, in a sense that it is pointed to everyone. So we love them, and the honor and respect is shown and demonstrated automatically. Believers and unbelievers. And he tells us that love fulfills the law. So this love fulfills the law and every obligation of the law. We fulfill the law by loving everyone. Let's jump to 1 Corinthians 13. It is the love chapter, right? Tells us what love is. We've established that we are to love that is an ongoing obligation that never ends, and we are to love everyone, and this is what it looks like. It is patient. It is kind. Does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable, yeah, I know, don't say it, or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's beautiful in every way. And we are called to exemplify this to everybody. Everybody. How do we know if we are loving everyone? Is this the way you treat everybody? Those you know, those you don't know. There are a lot of beautiful things written in these four verses. When we love everyone, we're paying honor and respect. We're not disrespectful. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. If this would happen in today's world church environment, the current state of toxicity would vanish. I found this on the web. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> <clears throat> what bothers me about the times in which we live we talked about it at great lengths in Sunday school there is a toxic atmosphere in our society we know that I'm not giving you any secrets that you don't know the the biggest problem I have in it is I feel like the church is playing a role in the toxicity and that bothers me 
that bothers me a great deal. And, and I feel like what has somewhat turned the church that direction, and we talked about this in Sunday school, is our loss of a kingdom mentality. The idea that this world is not important, that there is nothing in this life other than our relationship with Jesus Christ that is important. But we get so caught up in this world that we want to act like those who are of this world and we lose sight of the commands to love everybody. We lose sight of the fact that we're not to be rude or arrogant or boastful or proud. We're not to insist on our own way. And whenever we do insist in our own way, then if that doesn't happen, and if somebody doesn't do what we think is right, regardless of whether it's biblical or not, then we're not going to love them anymore. Then we don't have to pay honor or respect to them anymore. That's not the church. That's not having a kingdom mentality. That's having an earthly mentality. That is desiring the things of this world more so than the things of God. Our last few moments on this earth, when we're laying there struggling for that next breath, you, you think it's going to matter what the legislature passed five days ago, five months ago, five years ago? No. You're not going to be worried about that. You're not going to be thinking about that. Finally, your focus is going to be changed to the most important thing in life, and that is your relationship with God. And you're going to be thinking about how much time have I wasted worrying about things that are superficial and of the world. That's what it all boils down to. We're not put here to get our way. We're not put here to make things the way we think they should be. Do we have a voice? Sure we have a voice. Exercise that voice in that. I encourage us all to do that. It's a beautiful thing about America. But we've lost this idea that we are to love each other. Respect and honor each other. And everything that flows from that. I hear Christians all the time say if we don't act in this way or that way then we get run over and we get taken advantage of so so really this isn't our home this life is fleeting does it even matter and when we do that and when we say that, we have lost sight of this kingdom mentality that I'm talking about. Folks, we are the salt and light of the earth. And I want you to know this and I want you to hear this. We are the salt and the light of the earth. We went through the Sermon on the Mount. We saw Jesus' own words. Salt gives flavor. Salt preserves. What happens when the salt loses its flavor? Everything rots. Everything decays. What happens when darkness is embraced and takes place of the light, then it is all darkness. If we don't love, if we don't show respect, if we don't demonstrate godly qualities, this world is in a very bad place. That's our obligation. 
that's our duty as Christians. Show love. Show love to each other. Demonstrate that love to each other. Because it is in that that we act as the preserving element in this world. We say, well, they did it first, right? We're just, we're just acting the way they have acted for however long it is. Really? You parents out there, how many times do you hear that when they're that tall? You know, what's the fight about it? Well, she did this or he did that. We've just grown up with the same mentality. There is something beautiful about in the midst of adversity, in the midst of a world or nation or whatever that's filled with hate and chaos and all this friction, to be able to do that, that's beautiful. To be able to love when nobody loves you. Because that's what happened to us. Christ loved us while we didn't love him. He demonstrated that love for us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for the ungodly, each one of us. So I challenge us all as a church. We go out of here this week. Try to put this into action. It's not going to be difficult. Not at all. It's going to be hard, and you can't do it on your own. It takes prayer. It takes an honest commitment to, I'm going to work my tail off to try to do what God wants me to do, and that is to love everybody. Find that person that you just can't, and try to find something in them that you can love them. Whoever it may be, it doesn't have to be a leader It could be, you name it. But I challenge you to do that. Focus on the command to love each other because it is only when we can truly love each other the way Christ and God and Paul and the Holy Spirit and everybody else asked us to do that we will be able to pay respect and honor and show dignity that everyone deserves. We are the salt and the light. Let's fashion our lives accordingly. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, these are extremely difficult passages for us to A, understand, and B, attempt to put them to work in our lives. But Lord God, we know that you've created us as your church. You've created us as your church to be the salt and the light in a dark and decaying world, Father. Lord, we pray that you help us to push back on this notion that we're just uh, the opposite side of the world and we're the same as they are, we just have a different position. We're different than they are, Lord. We've, We've been called to a different place and we've been called to a godly place, a place where we are to love everyone, Father, and it is only from you and through you that that is possible and we ask for your help and guidance in so doing. Father, we pray that you give us an understanding of what that looks like with everyone in our lives, no matter how difficult it may be, because, Lord, we know that you set the example, because while we were yet sinners, you loved us. When we didn't love you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, as a matter of fact, we hated you. But you looked down, you sent your own son 
sacrificed his son to die on the cross for us as undeserving as we are. Let us look forward with that hope and knowledge that if you can do that, we can do this. We just pray for your strength and guidance as we try. And through it all, may you be glorified. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise. May the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Have a blessed week and stay safe. Amen.